You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And this is our 80th episode. Oh my goodness. And leave it to me to choose an episode for the 80th episode that's just gonna leave us both salty AF. (laughs) Salty uh, TK is here. Uh, She's gonna be making a lot of appearances because we are talking about one of the worst environmental disasters in Japanese history. The pollution of an entire town and a decades-long battle for justice, the Minamata poisoning. Before we get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for being with me here for 80 episodes. It's absolutely banana sandwich. I can't believe it. Um, thank you. I just, just thank you. Just thank you so much. And I'm so happy that you're here. So uh, <laughs> with that happy note out of the way, uh, grab a comfort drink and a stress ball because you're going to need it. And let's get to it. One weekend, my husband Rin and I were scrolling through Netflix as one does, and we came across a movie cover of Johnny Depp as an old man holding a camera and a beautiful Japanese actress. Johnny Depp movies on the whole are pretty good, so I thought it might be an option for movie night. But when Rin read the title, he immediately said that this was what we had to watch. And it was a little unusual because he's almost strictly an action and horror movie guy. Historical fiction and human dramas, try as I might, are not his cup of tea. I asked him why he chose this one so quickly, and he said, because he knows this story. The title of the movie was Minamata, and as a kid, Rin had heard and read about the disaster of an entire city and several generations of Minamata citizens being poisoned by one of the largest corporations in Japan. By the end of the movie, both of us were bawling and also pissed as shit. Rin turned to me and asked if I would cover this topic for him so more people could learn about what happened. So that is why we're here, dear one. And it's a rough topic. We're probably going to get sad, and that's okay. Because if you're always happy when you're learning history, you're learning the wrong stuff. Now, I must warn you that this is one big spoiler for the film, but it's a historical event, so I feel like, I feel like we're okay. So let's begin. Minamata is a small town in Kumamoto Prefecture, facing the Yatsushiro Sea. It's about a six-hour drive south from where I am right now in Hiroshima. In the 1950s, the people of Minamata started noticing something strange about their cats. The harbor kitties that roamed around the fishing town were shaking. Their bodies jerked around so much that they almost looked like they were dancing. But soon, after the dancing started, the poor kitties would no longer be able to function and would then pass away. It happened so often people started calling this mysterious occurrence the dancing cat fever. Nothing much to worry about, but definitely weird. 
However, on April 21, 1956, a five-year-old girl was seen by the physicians at the hospital inside Chiso Chemical Factory. She was exhibiting the same symptoms as the cats, shaking, having a difficult time walking, and not being able to speak clearly. Really, all of her motor functions were all over the place, and she just couldn't control them. And just two days later, her younger sister started developing the same dancing cat fever symptoms. Soon, more and more children in Minamata were found to have the same symptoms. Door-to-door examinations were carried out, which confirmed eight more cases. No longer was this simply a cat problem. But TK, what's going on? What disease could possibly transfer from cat to children? Great question, friend. It was mercury poisoning, but a special brand of really, really awful mercury poisoning. You see, that chemical factory, Chiso, was cooking up some awful shit in their little industrial factory. Shit like acetaldehyde, which isn't like a terrible thing, even though it has a really scary name. It can be found in coffee and fruit and stuff like that. But it's also made at an industrial level to manufacture various types of building materials, fire protection paints, synthetic lubricants, and explosive Not just one explosive, explosive. In the pharmaceutical industry, it's sometimes used in the manufacturing of vitamins, sleeping aids, and sedatives. It sounds like NBD, except that it's actually SBD, a super big deal. So we're about to change into For the Love of Science podcast, real quick, okay? Because there's a lot of science things going on in here. And I spent a long time researching them so that I could explain them to you because it's we're for the love of history here. Science, we love it. We love the science people, but science, I am not good at it. (laughs) So in order to make acetaldehyde, acetaldehyde, A-C-E-T-A-L-D-E-H-Y-D-E, acetaldehyde, I think that's how you say it, acetaldehyde. The Chiso company needed a thing to help them get the process started, a catalyst, if you will. And theirs just happened to be mercury, inorganic mercury, which surprisingly is like not that bad for you when it's in its metal form. But when it's in its other forms, it's hella super duper mega uber bad for you. After the thing that is hard for me to say, acetaldehyde was made, there was leftover mercury that had to be gotten rid of. It had to go somewhere. And guess where these freaking garbage humans put it? In the ocean, right into Minamata Bay. <laughs> Even I'm saying it out loud. And it sounds ridiculous. Like they just straight up put a pipe from the factory into the ocean. There's pictures. You can see it. I will put it on Instagram. Just a pipe spewing this mercury into the ocean. But my friend, it gets, it gets worse. That would have been bad. 
for the environment and for the people. But it was made extra super bad because of a special kind of bacteria in the water called anaerobic bacteria that doesn't eat oxygen to make energy. No, no, no. Nay, nay. It eats sulfuric stuff. Sulfur stuff. So the bacteria came into contact with the inorganic mercury, and it just so happened to turn into the most poisonous kind of mercury, methyl mercury, which got into the ocean, got into the plants, and the seaweed, and then the fish ate the plants, and the seaweed, and then the people ate the fish. And they all contained the incredibly poisonous methyl mercury. The Chiso Factory. Oh, the Chiso Factory. So after Matthew Perry came along and was like, knock, knock, Japan. It's time to end your like almost 300 year isolation. Japan was like, oh, snap, we got to open up. And when they did, they said, oh, snap, again, because the rest of the world was industrialized. So they were thinking, we got to get industrialized as soon as possible. So between 1890 and 1930, Japan built a ton of factories and infrastructure and basically worked an entire generation to death. But that is a story for another day. I just want to set the scene for you. Industry was more important than people's lives. And you'll see as the episode goes on. The Chiso factory was built in 1908. And it was perfect. Minamata was a small little fishing town with lots of space and a beautiful bay to dump pollution into. Well, I guess they waited until 1932 when they really began putting in the good stuff that left over in organic mercury. They thought that the water to mercury ratio would be so large that the mercury would, it wouldn't be an issue. There's just so much water in there. It would be super diluted and it would be fine. Spoiler alert, it most definitely was not. But even before the Chiso company started dumping pollution into the ocean, the fish population plummeted drastically just from the other stuff that the Chiso company was pumping into the environment. But they quietly compensated the local fishermen so that they wouldn't make too much noise. They did this twice, once in the 1920s and once in the 1940s, which is red flag number one. Red flag number two was that uh, after the cats, after the dancing cat fever, crows started falling from the sky. Just straight up dead. Just dead crows flying out, falling, not flying, excuse me, falling out of the sky. And dead fish just started floating on up to the surface. Which, I mean, can we, uh, I have no, I just, I have no words. When birds are falling out of the sky, there's a problem, okay? Okay. Anyways, red flag number three. Because it gets worse. It gets so much worse. Red flag number three was when the Chiso factory decided to do their own internal investigation about a possible link to the freaking chemicals they were putting into the ocean and the mysterious rise in central nervous system diseases among cats and humans and these birds flying out of the sky and dead fish 
flesh and dead fish just floating up to the surface of the ocean. And guess what? The Chiso Corporation team found. Guess. Yes, you are correct, my genius little donut. They found, oh my God, I can't even speak. I'm so upset right now. They found an ass load of chemicals, which is a technical term, an ass load of chemicals, numerous heavy metals that were present in concentrations high enough to inflict severe damage to the environment. They found elevated concentrations of arsenic, mercury, manganese, copper, thallium, selenium, science words from the periodic table that you don't want to find in high concentration in your ocean. But they didn't say anything to anyone. They just knew that there was this stuff in the ocean that should not be in the ocean that they put there and they didn't tell a soul. It wasn't until the following year that members of Kumamoto University Research Group, independently from the Chiso engineers' findings, found that not only were the fish in Minamata Bay contaminated, but the sediment of the bay as well. The sediment! It was in the dirt! It was in the freaking dirt! But the Chiso factory did not admit it. They did not admit that it was their fault. Instead, <laughs> instead, they let the people of Minamata continue to eat the fish for several more years without warning them. And the Kumamoto University Research Group couldn't do anything because they were just a bunch of university researcher people. But such high quantities of heavy metals in the ocean couldn't be ignored. So what they did to kind of clear up their image was, <laughs> honestly, one of the most frustrating things I've heard in a long time. What they did was in September of 1958, they changed where their little drainage pipe thing was from the Minamata Bay, where the water like tends to stay in one place, to the mouth of Minamata River. They just, <laughs> they put it from the ocean to the river. Why, you might ask, dear one? Great question. They thought that because the water in the bay just stayed there for a while, that that was causing the problem. That's what the issue was. It wasn't, it wasn't the mercury itself. It was the fact that it stayed in one place. So they thought that by putting the drainage pipe, the waste pipe into the river, that it would just be carried away and dispersed and it would be fine. It would just go away. It did go away. However, the results differed from their expectations. and. In fact, strengthened the suspicions that uh, Chiso was the cause for this disease because in March of the following year, patients began to appear around the Minamata River, especially the mouth area, in addition to the Minamata Bay and other neighboring areas that connected to the bay and the river. All along the Southern Yatsu Shiro Sea, Minamata disease was popping up all over the place. It was discovered that victims of Minamata disease, as it was now being called, had mercury levels that were more than 100 times that of an average citizen living in the rest of Japan. 
A person who didn't live in the area would typically have a mercury level of four parts per million. It's like tiny, little bit of mercury. Fine, it's okay. But the highest recorded mercury level in a Minamata victim was 705 parts per million. I can't do the math, but I'm sure that you can do the math. How many times more is that? That's a lot of times more. And even the asymptomatic residents in the area had mercury levels as high as 191 parts per million. I just... I have no words, friend, but it gets worse. It gets worse. So let's just take a deep breath together in and out and go to the next bullshit thing that the Chiso company did. All right, take a deep breath in and out. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready too. So, the Japanese government, along with other organizations, had a vested interest in keeping this willful poisoning a secret so that the factory could remain up and running. Some of these organizations did unspeakable things, like funding research into alternative causes of Minamata disease in an effort to deflect the blame from the Chiso's plants wastewater. But at this point, it was definitive. They tried to keep it under wraps, but the good science people, the morally uncorrupted science people, did the tests. They saw what was happening. They made the connections. They did the science things to prove the link. But the government needed Chiso to stay open because it was one of the biggest chemical manufacturing places in Japan. And as you know, Japan was industrializing and needed those sweet, sweet chemicals. And in addition to that, so many other citizens of Minamata needed the factory to stay open because it was their only source of income. Many of the fishermen had turned to the factory because of the... The freaking fish population was so low that they couldn't make any money because, and it was because of the Chiso factory. So then a huge rift formed in the community. Those affected by the Minamata disease were ostracized and protesters of the company were shunned and sometimes physically intimidated or assaulted. And then you had the Minamata workers who were just trying to survive, just trying to stay alive. I'm not talking about the higher ups. I'm talking about the worker people, not the CEOs, not the people wearing suits going to work. I'm talking about the people wearing overalls going to work. But things turned from bad to worse sounds weird to say because it's already worse. It's already terrible. But it got even more terrible when in 1961 and 1962, two very, very young girls died because of fetal Minamata disease. These girls had never eaten anything from the bay or the river because by this time people knew not to eat the things that came out of the river or the ocean. And their mothers were careful not to eat anything when they were pregnant. So so what the heck is going on, TK? I know, friend. I know I'm just as frustrated as as you are. (laughs) So let's get into it. The placenta is is super creepy. I'm not going to lie. Super creepy looking, 
and weird, but it's hella cool. Because it's basically like a little force field for a fetus, and it, it doesn't usually let in toxic chemicals because that's not good for growing a human. However, we now know that methylmercury, the worst thing ever, binds to this thing called cysteine to form cysteine methylmercury. What it is is not actually that important. The important thing to know is it is structurally similar to an essential amino acid, which is like an amino acid it is like something that's like a building block for your body. Your body uses amino acids. So basically, this type of mercury disguises itself as a good amino acid. So your poor, not your, not your poor placenta, the poor placenta is just out here trying to do its best being a good baby bouncer, trying to let in all the chemicals it needs, when all of a sudden, this cysteine methylmercury comes in disguised as an amino acid and starts affecting the fetus. And just the cherry on top of this garbage, poop, chemical, dumpster fire, mercury in this form also was able to pass through not only the placenta, but the blood brain barrier via an amino acid transmitter and this all came from the mother (laughs) what the heck what the heck (sighs) and you know one of the most infuriating things ever after this was found out because it was found out like in 1962 like right after these two girls unfortunately passed away they found this information out and the government's response was to say hey women who have mercury levels above 50 parts per uh, million ppm or whatever just just wear contraception just use contraception so that you don't get pregnant that that was their solution and despite all of this chiso didn't stop dumping their mercury into the water until 1968. 36 plus years of disaster. 60 if you count the immediate decrease in fish population after the factory was built. And I do. And now, I know what you're thinking, friend. TK, this is the part where we get vindication, right? This is the part where the government is like, okay, you know what? We did a bad thing. She so did a bad thing. We we're we're gonna make it right. The people who were affected by the disease will get fully compensated, and all of their medical bills will be paid, and all of that jazz. And the Chiso company saw the error of its ways and shut down completely, and said, "I'm sorry," and then gave the families a bunch of money. But no, no, my delicious little donut. This is not that part. It's not that part at all. The government did set up a compensation system. People who were, quote, allegedly affected by Minamoto, Minamata disease, end quote, could apply to a special unit that was made. And if their application was approved, meaning the victim could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were indeed affected by the poisoning of the river and the ocean by the Chiso company, then and only then could they get compensation. But they had to prove themselves. And even then, the compensation went through organizations, not directly to the victims. And the application was extremely difficult. 
The citizens of Minamata fought tooth and nail against the company and the government for compensation for what was knowingly done to them. Decades were spent fighting the legal system. And even after an American photographer from Time Magazine, Time Magazine, which is what the Minamata movie is based on, when they came to Minamata to take pictures and broadcast it to the world, what was affecting the people, the company continued to fight back with violence against the victims and even the photographer. Very little justice has been served since the connection between Chiso and Minamata disease. In 1979, a former president of Chiso and a supervisor of the Minamata factory faced criminal proceedings for causing death and serious bodily harm. But guess how long he was sentenced? A whopping two years. Two years in prison. In 1995, the Japanese government proposed a settlement plan to those who had not been certified with Minamata disease through that application process. In exchange for them dropping all related litigation, they would get money. And many of the victims accepted this settlement because it had been so long. So far, 2,265 people were officially verified as having the disease as of March 2001. And of those 2,265, 1,784 have died. However, the number is probably higher given that 13,000 people originally applied for compensation but were denied. The last Minamata-related case was in 2014 when three Minamata victims won compensation, but that has yet to be paid. But if there's one little silver lining of goodness to the story, it's that compensation payments that the Chiso company did make bankrupted them. And this persuaded other companies to clean up their pollution rather than risking similar claims. I'm so mad. (laughs) I'm so righteously angry, friend, and I, I feel it coming through the waves, the airwaves, that you too are pissed. And it sucks. And that's okay that we're angry. It's good to be angry. I'm glad that we're angry. We should be angry because this was bullshit. But I don't want us just to be angry and then just let that eat away at us and because that doesn't help anybody. So Take a big deep breath, a few more, while I tell you about what is being done now. The UN and several other organizations have used Minamata as a way to force other companies to clean their shit up. Survivors of Minamata are also being given a voice at the Minamata Municipal Disease Museum. There are 15 survivors that are able to tell their stories to visitors and have been doing so since October 1994, and are still doing so to this day. And with this new movie out, more people are learning about what happened, and hopefully this will prevent anything like this from ever happening again. And to end, I want to remind you that we cannot fix all the problems in the world by ourselves. I know it feels like we have to sometimes, but it's literally impossible. But what we can do 
is make a difference by learning, by doing small things every day, and most importantly, taking care of ourselves and the people around us. Well, my friends, that is all she wrote for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. (laughs) Hold on. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. I hope you feel informed and maybe and empowered a little bit. There you go. Informed and empowered. And if you got something out of today's episode, send it to a friend or leave a rating or review or uh, do all the above. If you'd like to support the podcast on Patreon, that would be super sweet. Or you can get some super cute merch and we can be twins if you get the sweater. (laughs) Whatever you do, thank you for being here with me. I cannot believe we're at our 80th episode. Oh, it feels crazy. The last two and a half years have been, they've been something. And honestly, your your support means so much to me. I don't know if I would have been able, ah, getting choked up. I don't know if I would have been able to make it through without you. So I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much. I got to go before I start crying. (laughs) Happy 80th episode. Do something that makes you happy. Give yourself a big hug from me to you. Drink your water. And I will see you next week when we talk about a powerful Egyptian queen. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs>